Literally, I wrote here. Yeah, physios need to continue to promote their skills in exercise prescription, but it does not need to be a battle royale with EP. Yeah, uh, 100%. There's a list. I was like, holy, yep. They can synergize well. (laughs) This is Intelligent Rebellion. Howdy, 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 and welcome to episode seven of the Intelligent Rebellion podcast. In this episode, I chat with Nikki Lodge and Matt Hicks from Sydney West Sports Medicine, and we discuss who is the better healthcare discipline, exercise physiologists or physiotherapists. Along the way, we also explore if an athlete rehabilitation model could work in the compensation space, why our colleagues might want to hold on to patients and not refer them on, and more importantly, most importantly, Matt tells us exactly where to put the TENS machine. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my chat with Nikki Lodge and Matt Hicks. Hi to Matt and hi to Nikki. So thanks yep. for coming on and recording and doing this for me. Um, it's a fun topic today and it's something that I want to do for a long time. <laughs> First question. Obviously, this is called the Intelligent Rebellion podcast. So everyone I've spoken to in season one was kind of a little bit lame and boring. So what <laughs> is your most recent personal rebellion and hands up just whoever wants to go first? I don't know if mine is a rebellion. I was thinking about this when we said through the talking heads. I was like, I'm generally not a rebellious person, but I thought um, maybe the boxing that I did, like mm. that was maybe not a rebellion, but definitely stepping out of my comfort zone and, yeah. and decided to take up boxing and had a couple of fights and just sort of, you know, break the mold and see how far I could push myself as a mum with two kids <laughs> and see if I still sort of had what I thought I had before. Yeah. So that's probably about but it. But Nikki, I mean... Why boxing? It's like, in my mind, there is no way that I as a person, and even you as a person who's just yeah. really, but really gentle, like what makes you go, I'm going to step into a ring and try to beat the shit out of this other person in the ring. Like, um, but it was just addictive. Once you start and, you know, you start working on your technique. I've always done a bit of boxing here and there, and I grew up with siblings. Like we're always, <laughs> like, you know, at home Brother. getting it on. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's just something that's really fun. But... Mm. It is funny that you say that because every time my sister did it as well and she had a couple of fights and every time we'd go somewhere, she'd be the like one that's death staring people or like looking up and down <laughs> and I'd be the one that would walk over and go, hi, I'm Nikki, I think I'm fighting you today. Like, I don't know. I'm, a, I'm a little bit nervous. I don't know about you. And she'd be like, yeah, this is my fourth, fifth fight. Don't hit me too hard. And I'd, go, no, and I'd be like, oh, good luck. Like, wish yeah. you all the best. And my sister was like, we are here to fight, not make friends. That is, and that is like, not how you box, Nikki. Said, I'm not fighting because I'm angry. I'm fighting because I'm overweight and want to challenge. Like, I'm not fine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, All right. Good. You make me sound so lame, Nikki. No, yeah, it's Matt, not a rebellion. No, no, literally, no, no. literally, my personal rebellion right now is like my wife and I went to a cafe on the weekend because we have a nine-week-old yes. <laughs> and literally leaving the house <laughs> and deciding that like we're going to go and go somewhere nice and have a, like a cafe style like brunch mm-hmm. is its own little joy right now <laughs> because it's with the COVID restrictions and I took quite a like bit of time off work. You just, you're at home mm-hmm. and you live in this like tiny 
four-hour cycles of, you know, a baby's routine. Mm -hmm. Rebellion is just like trying to return back to um, a level of the person you may have been like before kids. And I find that so interesting that wanting to look after yourself and your well-being and your partners or your best friend's well-being is so rebellious in this society. Like it's, uh, for me, it's so counterintuitive because the whole idea of looking after yourself, it's priority because then you can show up and be the best person for as you said matt for your kids for your partner for your family for your employ you know for your employees for your patients for everybody and so we're trying to flip the script and and we want to say that intelligent rebellion is about you know what's more important than anything else is you and that's not selfish correct and if you can't look after you then you're going to be a shit person to everybody else around right so that's what we're trying to give it's not we don't need to give people permission but you shouldn't feel bad about wanting to do things that you like Mm. and that make you smile but matt we hear you we've got kids You'll never, I think I, when you told me you were having a child, I, yeah. my comment was, you will never sleep yeah. again. <laughs> I want to move on to your healthcare origin stories. How would you sum up how you landed in healthcare? Yeah, I'll go first. Mine's a bit of a strange one. I obviously grew up in a family where we just love sports. Like our mum was taking us here, there and everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's only now that I appreciate it as a parent going, how did we do squad training, yeah. little athletics, dancing, horse riding, netball, like... Taxi mom. Absolutely. So um, we always grew up with like a love of sport, mm. but it wasn't until probably my brother was about a year old and he got meningococcal um, and oh. was actually in the children's hospital. I think all up it was about eight months. What? He's still here today, so it, it's a good story, but we spent so much time at the children's hospital and I, we would go to the rehab sessions or we'd hang out in the starlight room with him because obviously my parents were there. Mm. And you just see those practitioners working in that space with some of the most amazing kids and families as well. And I thought, like, that would just be so good to be able to help people like mm. that in, at the worst time in their life or similar and combine a love of sport. So yeah. that kind of led me into a, an exercise physiology degree and... I found it really rewarding. It sort of changed its course mm-hmm. throughout its time. And obviously, you know, I'm not on the tools, so to say, anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved it. It was really good. So question, you graduated about, oh, you're a bit younger than I am. Yeah, 2010. Okay, so EP yeah. was sort of maybe a thing oh, then. Absolutely not. Not really. <laughs> go to GPs and they'd go, yeah. what, sorry, uh, are you a personal trainer? Mm. <laughs> um, not quite. Like, yeah. Maybe. Did a couple it, it of years evolved. at uni. Yeah, it is evolved. Really a couple evolved. of degrees. So much. So yeah. much. Like, mine was only a three-year degree back then. And yeah. then you went out and you sought your own placements and you had to get 500 hours. There was none, yeah. no master's degree where they'd place you somewhere. Mm-hmm. It was go out, start networking and get your hours up and, and make it work, basically. So. Yeah, same. We were. I mean, I was a graduate of 2003. Yep in a sports science course that was in the business faculty. So what's your origin story? Like, how did you oh. land into the dark side of physiotherapy? I think, like, I was the same as Nikki. Like, I, I think most physios are, uh, like, you grew up playing soccer and, and I did a lot of athletics and just, like, loved sport. Mm-hmm. And then at school, you know, loved science and was, was pretty academic as well. And it's sort of just from finishing school, you know, sport science like good marks and stuff it kind of flowed into physiotherapy as a as a degree um and i had like a few injuries and needed to see some physiotherapists growing up but nothing major went through uni enjoyed working with people Mm -hmm. i think that's sort of what you find is like 
what I like about what I do is it's it's sport, it's science, it's problem solving, and it's communicating. Yeah. And it just sort of hits all of those things that I think I'm pretty good at. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy doing, and it's really rewarding. So I think it's my my origin story is almost <laughs> still evolving, like it's still yeah. changing. Um, I think when I finished uni, you know, I was like, I want to be, you know, the physio for the insert, insert <laughs> yeah. elite sporting <laughs> team now. Everybody want to be insert yeah, elite like sport here. Yeah. But I think now, like, I, like I love working with elite athletes who I work mm. with, but I love the mix of people that I get to work with. Yeah. And, and and so sliding doors moment, right? If you weren't an EP, Nikki. What would you be? I probably would take a whole different path and yeah. just have followed nearly everyone else in my family and been a police officer and gone, <laughs> let's join mounted police and just ride around on horses and yeah. do something totally different. And I always said, like, if I won the lotto and I'd never have to work again, I'd just volunteer and be, like, a mascot somewhere. So much fun. Like, like a dream. A, dream. Like, like, sorry, let me clap. Mascot is in... I've done it so many times. Like, dress up like the starfish. No. I've been Blacktown City Council starfish. I've been the frog. Um, <gasps> I've been a shark. Like, just because I'd, I'd worked at leisure centres and stuff yeah. and we'd have our open days and be like, all right, who wants to be the frog? Me, I do. I do. I want to be the frog. <laughs> like, costume. Absolutely full costume yep. kit out, run around, <laughs> like, play with people, play with kids, like, get your photo taken. And, and no one knows it's you, so you just can have so much fun. How about you, Matt? Like, um, million bucks? Like if, if I if I was doing something different, oh, like I, I think I would. Or would you I, have been like a podiatrist or something? No, nah, I, <laughs> I think I would have been like a like a teacher of some description. Yeah. I don't I don't know what subject necessarily, but mm-hmm. I like I. The more I um, you know do almost physio, the more I enjoy the teaching educating side of it. Yeah. Um, and so like I think yeah, if I wasn't doing physio, I think I would have fit well in a in, in, in like a high school teaching role yeah. of that. That's kind energy. of like I don't know when you were at uni, um, Nikki, sort of as an EP and you're doing your undergrad course and you sort of joke and think. Well, I don't have the marks to be a physio, so I'm going to go and be a PE teacher. Yeah, yeah, that was such a... And back then as well, you could just tack on a one-year master's degree. Sometimes I still look back and go, I probably should have just thrown that on the end at the time (laughs) instead of having to go back and then be a PE teacher. I'll tell you what, my origin story with with, um, that is because I had a PE teacher who just recognised the skill that I had in the human body and PE itself. And she really saw that and went, man, like Rhea's got something and nurtured that. And that's how I ended up going to a sports science. So, you know, as much as we joke about our PE teachers, for me, like my PE teacher was the one that really ignited that fire. And then that's how I got into the science, sports science type of stuff. And she helped me sort of figure out where to go and what to do. Because back then there was, this was the year 2000, like there was nothing going on. I'm going to move on from yeah. that because I'm going to, I want to get in, yeah. right? The reason why I'm talking to you guys today. Controversial topic has been for a while, right? Which is EPs, exercise physiologists versus physiotherapists. Um, and I sent you guys an article. Mate, this guy was on a warpath. Let me just say, he was very disgruntled. <laughs> Says Nikki the EP. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, can I just say, so look, this article was May the 1st, 2020, um, in the APA publications. If anybody wants to look it up, we'll put it in the show notes. Um, in the Physiotherapy in Motion. It was titled, Physiotherapy Profession Losing Its Grip. I still forget that I'm doing a podcast and I still put my fingers up like this. Um, So in the article, there was a question from a physiotherapist 
and his question was I'm writing to ask the question what is the APA doing to boost the knowledge about our skills in exercise rehabilitation in over 23 years of practice I've noticed in the last two years the massive push from exercise physiologists to stake a claim in the rehabilitation market that's kind of his opening line I mean, I know what my initial response was as an EP, but also someone who likes to collaborate with people and kind of see where everyone fits in. But what was your initial response? I'm going to go with Matt first. Yeah, like one, I can empathize with the physio to a degree Yeah. in the sense that evidence-based physiotherapy these days is moving and has been moving more and more into exercise should be making up a a large proportion of what we're doing um, and if he or sorry if that physio was in a position that he's doing really he's fine high, we, know he's, we know who he is sorry, so yeah, a high quality exercise yeah, yeah. Uh, high quality exercise mm-hmm. and exercise prescription into his um, rehab mm-hmm. um, you could understand you like I'm getting frustrated that I'm doing high quality care and I'm I'm getting yeah. intruded on in that space so- However, I think for me, the reflection is also that there's also a lot of low quality care in physio mm-hmm. and over-reliance on um, passive modalities, you know, your TENS machines, ultrasound, um, massage has its, has its place, but needs to look at, you know, what phase of rehab is someone mm-hmm. in. If we want to promote ourselves in a good light we also need to phase out the stuff that's um not working yeah and and shouldn't be done if if the evidence is going towards exercise and we're not meeting that mark mm-hmm. and someone else is i think they that's going to be that encroachment point but does that make that person an ep in this instance less qualified than a physiotherapist no i don't think it's about less or more qualified <clears throat> mm-hmm. it's, it's it's where does the patient's rehab need to go yeah where is someone at in their phase of rehab yes when is it more physiocentric when is it more ep centric yep. maybe when it's half and half yeah nikki as an ep what was your initial reaction to it obviously being a, an ep straight up i thought he's been burnt somewhere along the line or he hasn't had positive experiences with Mm -hmm. an EP potentially like maybe is that sort of the direction where it's coming from or does he feel a little bit threatened in Mm. that space maybe I I can't speak for him but I just they were my initial thoughts Mm -hmm. because coming from a practice where we work in now where it's very much multidisciplinary we have an open plan setting down the back and really no no different than working collaboratively like that's what we've done from day one so when people sort of say this i go wow like it's interesting to see that other practitioners feel like that because that's absolutely something that we try and steer away from here like we just yeah it it kind of boggles the mind a little bit there and you know i feel sorry for him that he's having that experience because there absolutely is a place for both physio and ep in the rehabilitation and i actually think it's very almost narrow-minded to think otherwise like Mm -hmm. it's a holistic approach it's not just physio and ep it's your doctor it's a patient it's their families you know it might be the dietitian that they're seeing it's it's everyone has to work together it can't be just you know an individual and and one practitioner i think personally yeah and i think you touched on the point of exercise prescription 
Like, how do you define what exercise prescription is? Because we've seen patients who say, and my physio has given me some rubber bands, colorful ones, and I go home and I do exercises and it could be just movement. Where do you draw the line of what is defined as exercise and what is defined as rehab? Yeah, I think it's, it's all shades of gray. I think more recently I've been sort of looking at where do I need to focus on the micro, the small mm-hmm. end of things? And then where do I need to focus on the macro or the bigger end of things? Mm-hmm. So, you know, for some people, um, you they may need to be doing a, a specific exercise in a specific way, um, whether it's to load uh, a, a structure or loading in a way that's not provocative. But we don't want to get too bogged down in the micro and forget the fact that movement is good or, or you know, doing a push-up or a squat or a lunge or a run it has its own incredible value that traditional and sense of exercise correct that people yeah. like if you if i was to walk out right now and just ask five people that walk past said what is exercise yeah. what are they going to say to me yeah. running jumping walking correct. but they're not thinking those might as you mentioned those micro things yeah. is that how you would define exercise yeah absolutely yeah some of yeah. those you know, more well-known swimming, biking. Yeah. People tend to see that as exercise. And it's funny, even people with rehab, like I know my mum as well, she won't listen to this, so I can say. She's done oh, it. Thanks. People have a different perception to what mm-hmm. we do as well. And I'd say to her, like, have you done your exercises today, mum? And she'd go, Nikki, I've been outside picking up dog turds for an hour and a half because <laughs> Katie and Jack are too lazy. And I go, yeah, but that, that's not your rehab. Like, that's just your incidental, yeah. everyday stuff that you need to do. Like, we need to be more specific. So, Though, is it? Right now, yeah. we just want people to move. Mm. Yeah. Could potentially her going and picking up the dog turds <laughs> be a part of her rehabilitation yeah. program? Like, do Possibly. we almost need to more more. think outside yeah. this yeah. realm of exercise prescription yeah. and yeah. broaden well, that? I think I also start looking at the patient in front of me and, and literally have an, an honest conversation mm-hmm. with them is what does exercise look to you? Because mm-hmm. there's no point me giving you five really specific things if a you're not going to do them yeah. because it's not how you see exercise mm-hmm. you might be really specific and, mm-hmm. and it really targeted with your, your instructions and other times it's like you know what i don't mind if their knees drop in a little bit or their shoulder position is not perfect all i care about is that they're putting some load yeah. through their body and that is better than no load through not, their body. not doing anything yeah. at all and it uh he also mentioned well, we referred to exercise physiology as a new trend. Mm-hmm. So, quote unquote, a trend. Yeah. Do you think EP is a trend? Do you think exercise physiology is a trend? No, no. And I think it's shown over the last couple of years how much it's evolved in that space as well and mm-hmm. diversified in terms of what service provision EPs can offer now that it's it's not a trend and it, it's something that's absolutely here to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought that was a, I mean, it's not. <laughs> dare I say other trends in the past that have come up of like of course yeah I think the other part of of the um article I find interesting and I think for physios we're trying to redefine our space is like like what are what are we good at as physiotherapists or what should we be focusing mm-hmm. on and where can we get assistance on the other areas that maybe yeah. we don't have the time to do as well so like you know I love um, diagnostics. I love um, problem solving and setting out like a plan for someone. 
And once someone's maybe out of pain or they're in a phase that needs more consistent load S and C, I don't have the time myself yeah. to give an hour to one patient exclusively or the time to do their, the programming and not just here's a few exercises on a sheet of paper, but yeah. like here is how I want you to think about your week of rehab. Yet my our ET our EP team can do that better than I can. Yeah. And they can refer back to me if there are other elements of that that they're struggling with. And right? to the, and to that point, you know, what I got jack of in this whole situation was that and this is why the intelligent building really started, was because of that hierarchy. Yeah. I'm top of the hierarchy mm. hierarchy because I'm a surgeon or I'm a GP. I've got a doctor and a hundred letters after my name, which makes me better than you. Mm-hmm. When to your point, right? which is really about, I have a specialty and an expertise in X. That's what I'm gonna be really, really good at. And then I'm gonna pass it on to whoever else is gonna be really, really good at this. You look at surgeons and they're all surgeons, but one guy is a hand surgeon. Mm. One guy is a foot surgeon. One guy is a shoulder and elbow surgeon. I never understood why allied health professionals either choose not to or don't have the foresight to specialize themselves in one very specific thing. But you do have that, you know, you've got the guys who only do elite sport, cardiac rehab and things like that, right? But I feel like we need to celebrate that. There was one statement that he made, so I'm gonna quote, unquote him here. It says, it has been an ever increasing push that finally made me see red when I had work cover and GP stating to me that patients need exercise, not physiotherapy, to rehabilitate and they had advised the patient accordingly to go and see an exercise physiologist. Furthermore, he says, and I quote unquote, how a patient with a subacute rotator cuff tear needs to see an exercise physiologist over a physiotherapist is beyond me. He's now been very specific. With, mm-hmm. So let's, let's move into specifics here. I was at a conference in March, 2021, so before the lockdown happened, and I heard an, an exercise physiologist stand up on stage and actively encourage the people in that room to refer acute people to him. So post-op acute recovery. And he gave an example of how he speaks with surgeons and they refer directly. So Nikki, yeah. as an exercise physiologist, knowing your scope of practice, where is your stance if one of the doctors here said, this guy's coming out of surgery in two days time, will you take him? If that doctor generally thinks that that's in the best interest of the patients, I would absolutely take that patient because we have the diagnosis, right? So as EPs, we don't diagnose, but in this instance, we're given the diagnosis and we can follow surgical protocols and things like that. But in saying that, there is still a place for the EP there. So from my end, I'd be going back to the GP and saying, this is something that I can definitely manage from my end, but I think this patient would also benefit from seeing one of our physiotherapists for some of that yep. hands-on yeah. kind of treatment as well. Well, let's go back to his, to the article and his example of the subacute rotator cuff tear. Who starts? Who gets to who gets yeah. to play first? I, I, I think I think historically, mm-hmm. and I, I would advocate that physio starts first, and and sub subacute starts actually suggesting that that's more than three months post-op in, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so in the acute phase post-op, I think still physiotherapy takes ownership because in acute post-op physio- uh, management, exercise may not solely be the thing that's mm-hmm. helpful for that person. Yeah, I, I think one of, uh, one of our EPs, directors, and summed it up really well for me is that 
at any stage of someone's rehab, it's not one service mm-hmm. and then refer and another service. Yeah. So in an ideal world and... Let's go ideal. Let's say, let's say this isn't workers' compensation because they tend to have a little bit more black and white, but yes, let's do. say this is a, an elite athlete. Part of that person's recovery from their shoulder injury is maintaining their fitness. That may include a consultation with a P, right? Yeah. That may include a consultation with a dietitian to mm-hmm. improve their nutritional intake while they're recovering. Um, they may not be the primary carers, mm-hmm. but they're playing an active role. Whilst in the first block of time, you're primarily doing physio, physio-specific exercises. And that's more of the micro stuff yeah. because that's probably all they can do at that stage. So answer me this, right, Nikki? Why do physios hold on? I feel like if you're holding on to your patient, do you potentially not have the trust in your colleagues? Or is it because... Or who you're referring to, or or do you have no one to refer to? Yeah, that's it. Like, is that one of the reasons why it happens? Like here, we have very much an open team and it's a transition of care, Mm -hmm. but it's also our EPs and our physios, vice versa, being able to go, yeah, I've seen you for six weeks now, but I actually just want you to go back to Matt we're very liberal in the sense that it can go back and forth. It's not your box tier and then your box tier and then you go. So, so that's so that's multifaceted. I I never thought of it that way. Yeah. So where you said it's because either that practitioner, we'll call him a physio because that's what we're doing yeah. today, yeah. Um, doesn't know who to refer to or has no referral pathways yeah. or because they don't, or they don't trust whoever they're referring to. Could it also be, and this is where I come across the line of just fucking playing greedy? Financially, yeah. Well, it's yeah. financially beneficial for them. Or also, each practitioner has a preference of a certain profile of patient that they would like to see. Some yes. that they, you know, lend themselves like your typical ACL Ricos, and everyone goes, I just want to get my hands on that because I can do some really cool stuff in this space. Yeah. Um, so is it if that type of patient is not frequently coming through the door either, is it a sense of I've got to hold on, like that, that sense as well, and go because this is awesome and I want to keep it? Yeah. Um, but if you worked in a clinic like this, you don't have to hold on to it because yeah. you treat them, you still get to see them, you know they're going to come back to you if needed and it's going to be an, an integrated model. Is it a codependency then? It's almost like the patient needs you, but then inadvertently as a treatment provider, you kind of also need the patient to feel worth and to feel like you're being challenged. If we talk about the the financial component, because that that may be what people are looking at Mm. sometimes. Especially if they don't work in a multidisciplinary model. Like you refer out and lose So the way I look at it though is like, is it in my best interest or is it in that I'm seeing the same people twice or three times a week on an ongoing basis so that I may only be looking after 20 or 30 clients total or is it actually in my best interest that I'm utilizing my team around me that I can facilitate more people coming in and be exposed Mm -hmm. to high quality care. Rehab uh, down the track is not a 30 minute one-on-one consult Mm -hmm. in a private room. It, it It shouldn't be about like, a sense of uh, ownership on it. It should yeah. be a sense of our goal is getting the patient better. Yeah. And, and if they're getting better, they're telling their friends and family that 
they're getting better and they're going to come in and see me. But if we talk about compensable scheme as well, sometimes that's not always how they operate either. And that is still very much a challenge. Like we have great um, partners that we work with, insurers, Mm -hmm. you know, we've gotten to know our rehab consultants now and things like that. But there's always, you know, people that come along and they go, well, why does the person need EP if they're having physio? Or why does that person need to go back to a physio? They're seeing the exercise physiologist. Yeah. So they don't understand that this kind of model of care. Because so, it lives in black and white. Yeah, there's, yeah, and there's a hard transition. And, yeah, and you absolutely. don't see that if you look at an elite sporting field. Like, they will all be doing S&C, field training, S&C in a gym. Yeah. Some will be doing own, like physio and S&C. Some will be doing no physio because they're not injured and only S&C. Yeah, we like, have these athletic models yeah. that we've, you know, been, you know, brought up in and that's what we apply here. You don't have to be an athletic, uh, sorry, an athlete to be yeah. exposed to an athletic type model. And, and it's, it's as you, to your point, Matt, it's right service, right time and it just depends on what that service is and I feel like especially in compo it's really linear yeah it's like okay eight weeks of physio EP if you're lucky yep might get one or two plans approved and then and then and then cut cut the ties right so you've pointed to this 30 minute time frame going to EPs how much time do you get typically an hour like if it was a private person to come in um an hour session even most of our workers' comp stuff would typically be an hour and then we try to, you know, reduce session times as we go along. Well, reduce yeah. session yeah. frequency to yeah. improve, like, independence. There's a lot of, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk about there's that a lot at, of the moment. at the moment in the yeah. Syria New South Wales scheme about reducing, reducing durations. It cannot right. be black and white like that. If we go yeah. to the serial conversation, like, in 30 minutes as an EP, like, like Matt needs his 30 minutes, but we also need more as EPs. Like you've got to think about if we're actually going to teach someone how to train and run them through a program, mm-hmm. we can't just jump in and say, hey, start deadlifting. Mm-hmm. Like there's a process behind that. You need to warm up. I need you to be able to move properly and start activating. Yeah. Now I need to teach you the movement and start lifting and you need rest between yeah. sets. Yeah. Like it pushes that session time out. So, you know, there, there may be a place for 30-minute sessions and we see that for some of our guys but- where we go, you're educated, you're, you can self-manage, you know what's going on, mm-hmm. I just need to work on this with you today, but stay here and finish off your session. Yeah. And there's a bigger conversation, I think, that is starting to occur, that is, is physio, EP, allied health a consultative process or a rehabilitative process? So, you know, are we are we looking, are we, are we looking at... at you you walk in and you do a 30-minute consult and then you walk out? Or are we saying that rehab is less... A, a, it's, a, it's a bigger, broader process. So mm-hmm. that needs time. Taking it away from being come into this private room where I will look at you for 30 minutes and then you will walk away with some information and a sheet of exercises yeah. to being like, sorry, you're coming here for a rehabilitation journey. Sometimes that requires really focused time Mm -hmm. where we sit together and we plan and we problem solve and we maybe do some really focused, nitty gritty hands on stuff. But other times where it's like, actually, I want you in the clinic or the space more broadly, doing your exercises, being able to touch base with practitioners. Like I had an athlete yesterday who um elite athlete in a boot who was doing an snc session and i was like hey like why are you in a boot 
And that stems the conversation, okay, actually, we need to touch base about so why it's kind you're of, It's very much sort of challenging them to... We need to change think, the model of how we think. We need to change the model of how we think. But as an EP, isn't that what's drilled into us during our yes. years and years so, of cognitive behavioural approach, yeah, yeah, training yeah. and motivational interviewing stuff? Like, yeah. so how do you do that? I mean, you've got time. I mean, Matt doesn't have the time. He's got 30 minutes and he's throwing TENS machines around. So I'm yeah. Sure. <laughs> no, in the bin, throwing TENS yeah. machines yeah. in the bin. <laughs> Yeah. How do you do that? We give them the tools and the mm-hmm. toolbox and teach them how to use the tools and then be like, bye, I never want to see you again. Right? Mm-hmm. How do you incorporate that in between the deadlift? I think initially it has to be that frequency. Like you have to give that person the confidence. Like we have to remember that sometimes we're seeing people in the clinic that have mm-hmm. never ever trained before. Like we can't just assume that they've ever walked into a gym before or lifted a weight in their life. Yeah. So sometimes that's a process and a teaching process and you know, getting their trust and giving them confidence in their own abilities. Mm-hmm. So I think, and that all comes into obviously what we can do in an hour session as well. So yeah. it's just about the setup, you know, the rapport building with the patient is so important from mm-hmm. the beginning as well. And then giving them access to those tools to be able to do that. It's not walk in, walk out. It's you might do your session, but then, hey, I need you to jump in the pool now and do your yeah. hydrotherapy session, or I need you to get on the Alter G and do your running program. So they have access to all mm-hmm. these things that yeah. they can do. So for us, and and this is something that we're trying to work towards as well, like at setting up spaces where, you know, it's not purely a financial model for us. It's it's much more than that. Mm. And our service offering needs to be much more than that as well. So let let me lead into this, right? I just inherited a billion dollars and I say, hey, Nikki, hey, Matt, you guys are pretty cool. What does your model look like? I mean, you're close, right? You're really close. So can you tell us a little bit about the setup that you guys have here and what your principles and ideologies are really about, like what drives you guys. Here we are sitting in this facility, you've got EPs, physios, you've got a podiatrist, you've got a dietitian, you also have the massage Massage guy as massage service as well. You've got Oc Health Doctors, sports physicians. It's a super clinic. And you've got got the giant gym across the way as well. On top of of a therapy pool instead of a state gymnastics facility. We're we're very lucky to have that. Of of course, but but at the same time, you've identified that this is the place to be. Absolutely. So here's your billion dollars. Yeah. I, I think it's looking very close to what our second location is going to look at. So yeah. the International Centre of Training Excellence. So yeah. um, we're one of the foundational partners in that. That's a $100 million build by Blacktown City Council. Mm. And that is going to be state-of-the-art facilities that you've seen nowhere else. So um, we're talking strength and conditioning gym that's right next door to us. Again, mm-hmm. the hydrotherapy pool, a full biomechanics lab, environmental chambers, wet labs, synthetic pitches, running tracks. Um, you know, it's just a physical literacy area out the front of the building where we can encourage people to potentially get out of the clinic and this idea that to do exercise and rehab, you need to be in a consulting room and actually get them outside on the physical literacy area, especially for some of our younger kids. Jump on the tramp with me. Show me how you climb, run, jump, hop, skip. Mm-hmm. Um, to affordable and quality yeah. services. So what makes you unique in this space? Because, I mean, if I, if I look at 5Ks from here, you've got 20 physiotherapists around. I would like Sydney West Sports Medicine or the clinics that I work at to be seen as um, a combination of a, a rehabilita- rehabilitation centre mm-hmm. rather than a place where you go for an appointment. You, you sometimes need places 
like physical structures there to support you and so you need a space that feels that makes rehab easier yeah and and do you think in that case I just had a thought you don't you don't want to come for an appointment you want to come for almost an experience mm -hmm. and a support right so is it one of those things where you say the actual fee model should just be completely scrapped. It shouldn't be yeah. a PT001 to go and see the Correct. physio or an EP002 for a consultation. It should just be going to Sydney West Sports Medicine for my rehab program. Mm -hmm. And whatever you need at that moment in time is what you need. Uh, ideally, I don't know exactly yeah. how that oh, It might be a logistical yeah. minefield. It's, it's basically already <clears throat> happening. Like yeah. there are there are some really good minds doing this stuff in private enterprise that are setting up, you know, gym spaces that are like, what do we want to look after? Elite athletic populations. Yeah. We are targeting our service to the needs of, of this bracket of people. Yeah. Part of that fee, you have all the services that you would like to that get. you need, right? right? You need to feel model. like an elite athlete, walking in yeah. and walking out, like you're getting yeah. that same attention, same mm -hmm. care, same quality of treatment. Yeah, and not yep. that churn. And That's right. And, yeah, I don't want you in a medical centre where there is 12 doctors, <laughs> one, one physio yeah. in a rubbish space that has no room to do any exercise. That And, it, and, and then that's why physios fall into the trap of mm -hmm. having over-reliance on passive modalities. It, I don't actually think it's so much they don't the physios have the space. Oh, well, yeah. They don't have the space, they don't have the time, mm -hmm. they have too many patients, and so they need an out, and the passive modalities give them But at the, the same time, let's talk about responsibility and accountability as a healthcare provider. If you were one of those medical center physiotherapists with very little room, with very, that's your responsibility mm -hmm. to say, oh yeah, this is not the right place for me and maybe I should do better. Well, and the only way that changes is that more graduate physios and EPs see what does good look like so I don't see yes. it for less. Yeah. Um, also, more patients seeing what good looks like so mm -hmm. I don't settle for less. Yeah. So we've spoken about what you guys are as a practice and as a clinic. What are you not? Passive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we are not and passive. If you're coming in and you want the full hands on all the time, you want a TENS machine on, you want a hot pack on, we don't even have a TENS machine. <laughs> like, really. yeah, well, Will and I were joking. You know, we go to the shopping center and they've got those little beauty bars and yeah, that. I thought, yeah. I'm just going to buy 20 TENS machines and set up a TENS machine yeah. bar. 10 bucks, 10 minutes, yeah. hook Look. you up from that. And I think we're trying to educate people as well is if you walk into a physiotherapist and they say to you, eight sessions, just lie down here and have a bit yeah. of a massage. Well, hello public, that's not right. Like yeah. that is and not And it's about correct. patient empowerment. And they yeah. need to be involved in their own care as well and feel like they have yeah. you know control over their care as correct. well. Because our goal is independent management. Yeah. Well, to this physiotherapist, particular article that we've spoken about, like what would you want to say? Like if you saw him face to face, what would you say to him? Come out to our clinic and have a look. I'm saying it as an EP, we're, we're not the enemy. Like, <laughs> we're not the enemy. Come out, have a visit, have a look around. Let's show you what a good system looks like with good good protocol around recovery and patient care. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I obviously like to talk to people about just outside of work as well. I, w I was looking like at your talking point questions and I thought like, what are we... I don't know. When, when you said, who are you listening to or whatever, I thought... I, if I'm being absolutely truthful, I'm just surviving at the moment. Like, if I have to be truthful, like I'm still, I just moved into like obviously the general manager's role in January. Yeah. But I have two young kids at home and 
for me, it's still very much just trying to find a balancing act and mm-hmm. not have, you know, the pressure of work sometimes be overwhelming because you've got so many things going mm-hmm. on and I just always want to give 200% to the role. Yeah. But I want to give everything I have to my kids and I also don't want to go home on Thursday and have no groceries in the house, 20 loads of washing and my house looks like a bomb city. So <laughs> for me at the moment, it's just really trying to find ways that I can balance everything mm-hmm. and you know, be good at it all and not, you know, have, you know, work be really great, but then home life is struggling or... I was talking to somebody about this and I was saying that the whole work-life balance is total bullshit. There's no such thing. It's either you make a decision to do work at that moment in time and you put your 100% into work and then you make a decision when you go home to be in your life. Yeah. Matt, anybody, I mean, besides your baby. Yeah, well, actually, I think that's sort of the point. Like, I think now it's like and coming back to work it's like i want to give everything i can to my work whilst i'm at work mm-hmm. and then stop and then give everything you can when you're at home to your family i think my patients appreciate that i'm, I'm genuinely trying my best for them yeah but, and sometimes even my best effort doesn't mean i get everything done of course right? if we look at the big picture like and that over time we will grow and evolve and be better at things and it will change what we do so sort of being a bit more accepting of just like you do your best and and that I think yeah I think when someone's intention is always coming from a place of I'm just trying my best yeah. I'm being kind about it and compassionate yeah. and hum- and like I'm trying to bring a humanity here you can never go wrong yeah. you know? no yeah. one can ask totally. any more of you yeah then you're coming from that place. And I think that's what it is. And again, it's highlighting that we are rehab professionals. So when you see us in clinic, we might be like, yeah, yeah. But we've got lives. And sometimes we we just want to crawl into a hole and cry and just be done with with it. My day started at 3 a.m. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. But we saw that during COVID, right? Everyone obviously doing Zooms and chats and seeing what people's home life looks like. (laughs) I I know me personally, like I was, sometimes I'd be in the room and I'd sit the kids out with a movie and I'd sneak away and lock the door. I'd sit in my driveway and I'd do a Zoom in in my car. In the end, we're all humans. Absolutely. In the end, we all have families and other things that we've got to do outside of work and it's thinking, well, shit. Like, yeah. we don't have it together and that's okay. So to my point, yeah. I don't know if you guys will have a good answer for this, is well, what the fuck do you do for fun then? Box? Yeah. <laughs> like, no, yeah, yeah. Like to box? box or beach, love going to the beach. beach or- you got to make sure you don't burn out because mm. it's so easily in this industry yeah. to burn yourself mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And I think we've got an exceptional team of practitioners down yeah. the back that, you know, we don't have to micromanage them because they're inherently just great people they're motivated enthusiastic mm-hmm. passionate so for us as managers it's about like, yeah. making sure that they don't feel burnt out and yeah. they, you know what do you do for fun like friends you know family like mm-hmm. making sure you've got the people around you that you enjoy being around regularly if you lost your job today what would you do Oh, like nothing. I would just, sorry, like like I I would enjoy doing nothing. Like I I would travel a bit. I would just spend time with my family and and, and friends. And I think it's just like finding joy in whatever it is. Yeah, and and this is what I find super interesting where I'm trying to change the narrative and I'm trying to change the mindset is if you ask me that question of, hey, Ria, if you lost your job today, what would you do? I wouldn't, there would be no hesitation. I'd be like, I'd be on a plane, snowboarding. So when I talk to people, I was like, how do you not know the answer to that question? Yeah. Because it's about exit strategy, right? It's Mm -hmm. about, well, what are you working for? Your kid's not going to remember that excellent report you wrote to the doctor. They're going to remember if you were, if you were present. Like if I'm being 
like truthful. That was absolutely me. Like just prior to kids, like there was one point there where I go back a couple of years before I'd stepped into this role and I was doing three jobs at the one mm-hmm. time. I was giving up all of my weekend to work with footy teams because, yeah. you know, it was experience for me and I was networking and building rapport and I didn't have a life and I probably didn't see it at that point in time because yeah. I was so just driven to the goal and this is what I do and it's my routine. And it wasn't until one year's even someone actually said, oh, what's your New Year's resolution? And I actually went, you know what? so tired and I just want to start enjoying life so I'm gonna you know work to live not live Mm -hmm. to work where do we find you guys do you want us to give your give Sydney West a plug or give yourselves a plug yeah absolutely so we're located at at West HQ which is the old Rudy Hill RSL club in the SGAC building so we're out in Western Sydney um www.swsm.com.au we're on Facebook LinkedIn Instagram um, Instagram so yeah, come, come down, you, check yeah. us out. Um, even if you just want to call and have a chat, I mean, you know, we're always open, love hearing from people. And as Matt said, we're, we're not just about the athlete. We're very much for everyone getting that athletic experience. And I yeah. think the other part of that is even though we're big, it's about maintaining community, like mm-hmm. community matters and it is, and supporting the, the Western Sydney around us. Yeah, mate, look, I'm a Westie. For me, it's such a privilege to be able to talk to people like you who are in my hood. Um, who are doing great things in here and really giving to this community, which somewhat has been neglected. Like people think, oh, the West, and they just have these far out ideas of what the Absolutely. West is like. But in reality, there are amazing people out here doing amazing things. So. But know. there's a spirit about Western Sydney Absolutely. that uh, if you've never been out here, come on out and we'll show you around. Absolutely. So, but thanks again to Matt and thank you to Nikki for thanks, coming on Rhea. board. Thank you so much. Intelligent Rebellion Podcast is a Three Sticks production. It is produced, written, and hosted by me, Ria Mikado. Will is the emperor of sound, mixing, and editing, and is the talent behind all our original music. This episode is dedicated to Nikki's mom. Picking up turds does not equal exercise. Go and do some squats. Oh, that was fucking sick. So good. Well done, guys.